Hi there, and welcome to Third Sector Success 101, the podcast from Third Sector Network with me, your host, Joe Green. Wherever in the world you're listening to this, you are very welcome. In this episode, we are going to be looking at what, in my humble opinion, is the single most powerful tool at the disposal of any charity from the smallest to the biggest, and that is the power of storytelling. In this episode, we're going to be talking to Trevor Reed from Meningitis Now about his experience using storytelling with the charity he works for, and we're going to have further discussions about what storytelling can achieve generally. So if you and your charity are looking to invigorate or reinvigorate your outreach and marketing, we think this episode will have something for you. So without further ado, let's meet our guest today, Trevor. Trevor, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Would you like to introduce yourself introduce yourself and the charity you represent to our listeners? Hello, Joe. Hello, everyone. It's uh, really good to be here. I'm Trevor Reed, and I am Director of Fundraising and Communications at Meningitis Now. We're based in Gloucestershire, in Stroud. We're actually based there because of a cluster of meningitis cases back in the 1980s, which was the kickoff point for the charity where a number of families got together and I've been working in fundraising and comms for the last 25 years uh, in fact beyond that as a journalist I, I started with the BBC many many years ago um, and so storytelling and communicating has been a big part of my career really it's been the it's been the underpinning of everything I do every day and it's um, it's lovely to be here to be able to talk about telling stories because that's something we all love to do. Well, it's my pleasure to have you here. So as you've already come on to, storytelling is, is what we're going to be talking about today. And when I do workshops for charities, one of the things I say, I'm a bit of a broken record on it, is that storytelling is, is, I think, the most powerful tool that charities have got. And yet at the same time, I think remains one of the most underused, perhaps underappreciated um, sort of sort of weapons for want of a better phrase um that, that that charities have got at their disposal and i think a lot of people you know sort of they think you know what you mean when you say storytelling but perhaps when we dig down a little deeper today we can sort of show how strong it would be but to start at the very beginning i thought the, the simplest way to do it was what is the definition of storytelling and and so went to the dictionary for this and it couldn't be more straightforward storytelling the activity of telling or writing stories and i suppose you know from your point of view my point of view the point of view of our listeners the first thing most people think of when they think of storytelling is something along the lines of once upon a time, whether it's a book, a children's book, a novel or something. But of course, when we talk about storytelling today, we're talking about it in quite a specific context in terms of promoting it and getting charities out there. What does storytelling mean to you, Trevor, specifically from where you're coming from? Yeah, it's an interesting word, isn't it? Storytelling. You're instantly drawn back to those days of sitting on the carpet in front of the teacher and she's holding the book or he's holding the book. But actually, it's totally different, isn't it? This is about an interplay between in the fundraising world between us as the communicator and our supporter or donor and us having an end purpose as well. So the storytelling idea, that idea of just communicating with kids is very, very different from what we're talking about when we talk about storytelling in the fundraising world or just in the charity world in general. For me, it's about communicating with purpose and it's about having passion as well. So purpose and passion go together with communicating. For me, that's about the storytelling 
model for us as fundraisers and good communicators with, within charities as a whole. Um, there's absolutely loads out there uh, on the internet about uh, storytelling. Uh, I'm sure you've looked as well, Joe, and um, loads and loads of different charities approach it in different ways. There's loads of advice. Um, in fact, I came across one just yesterday, which was 23 tips to become a better storyteller within a charity. And uh, tip number one was be brief, which is fantastic. <laughs> if, you, if you've got 23 tips and the first one is let's be brief about it. But actually, it's really simple. It's really simple to, to keep um, our story short but actually get across our messages um, to, to the people that we want to talk to, to be able to, to convince them that not only are, is our charity credible, but um, we as storytellers are credible too. So I think for me, it's about being able to sit in front of a microphone, get in front of a group of people, or even just write a piece. It's not just about talking, is it? It's about having some form of communication which has a purpose and it has some passion behind it too. I, I think that's a really good way of looking at it. I mean, it, it's obviously quite a complex thing, storytelling, because you're trying to do a lot of things at the same time. Storytelling is, I mean, without meaning to pick on one example particularly, let, let's think of like supermarket ads. Stup supermarket ads traditionally aren't really about storytelling. It's about our bread costs 79 pence. Bread at the other place costs 99 pence. Therefore, our bread is cheaper, so you should want to shop with us. You know, that's not storytelling, but, but, but that works. That works for them. Whereas you have, you know, other advertising campaigns, like, for example, car adverts, you know, which I sometimes watch and I don't understand at all what they're trying to tell me. And it's sort of it's about evocative images and, and flashy imagery and creating a tone, a style. You know, when it comes to storytelling, you're trying to do a bit of all of that. But of course, you haven't got time for the once upon a time. You haven't got time for this to spend three chapters setting the scene and building the characters. But my, my father is a writer. He's not a famous writer, but he's had, he's had many books published. And he would always talk to me about the importance of taking a few chapters to set the scene and create, you know, a, a, you know, the, the sort of empathy with characters. And the, you haven't got time for any of that. You know, you, you, you've perhaps got 30 seconds for a social uh, media video. You've perhaps, you've perhaps tried to do it in a poster. So you haven't got time for once upon a time. You haven't got time for introductions, really. You haven't got time, you know, for subplots and things like that. But you still want to take people on a journey where there is a discernible beginning, middle and an end. There is a premise. There is a transition. Maybe that's a transition into tragedy, a transition into joy, a transition into success you know, barriers. And then there is an ending where you're either saying this, something bad is happening and you can do something about it. Something good is happening. Would you like to help us do more? So I'm kind of sort of contradicting myself in some ways in that it's not about the once upon a time and they lived happily ever after. But at the same time, you have got to fit all that in, isn't haven't Haven't you? You've got to squeeze all the same principles of taking people on a journey into an absurdly compact space potentially haven't you you have indeed and it's it's a a real challenge and i think it only comes with practice and comes with time i think the thing to say to that as well is that everybody is a communicator in one way or another we are all good at telling stories even if we don't believe it you've just got to find your way of telling stories i like to paint a big picture so i very much in, in Engage with what you're saying. I find those times when you've actually got very little time or just a tiny bit of tech space, those are the trickiest times to get your message across because you want to say so much. 
but there's a really good discipline which is the idea of telling your story in one sentence so taking me right back to the beginnings of my journalism career when I've got to write really short radio scripts how can I tell this big story this big news event to somebody who's probably driving a car or distracted to doing some other activity how can I get through to them and story tell to them in maybe two or three sentences so that's a really good place to start actually is the simplicity of your story is always there even if it feels bigger or you want to uh, fill in more character or you want to to be able to give all of the context that actually what you really do need to do is just in the first instance boil it down what is your start middle and end what is this what is this burning need to be able to communicate right now to this audience right now whether it's one person or a whole load of people and what is it that you you want to be able to paint in the middle where's your middle piece which is the 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 challenge the problem that you've identified as a charity and the piece that they play as an audience or a supporter or a donor that's your middle piece isn't it so yeah. you've got the setup you've got the big problem at the first uh, first place then you've got how are we going to fix this problem how the charity and in partnership with that donor are the people to be able to support to sort this out and then your ending is your call to action is where you go from there how can you as a donor help us at this point take this forward so you've got that classic story model that storytelling model and if you boil it down in the first instance to those elements and get them really clear in your mind that gives you the chance then to say okay this is a social media piece and it stays small or it's a news piece or actually i've got a, an hour's worth with a, a lovely audience that i'm going to spend some some time with and i can really go to town and get uh, flourish out the story tell some stories about some of our amazing supporters or, or just give some personal anecdotes too. But as long as you've got that framework always there, uh, you'll always know where you are. So I, I think, think it's really it's really important to build in the first instance in yeah. that way. I, I think what you've, you've mentioned there, you, your sort of previous professional role, you know, working sort of with BBC and news, I think this is sort of the, the classic example of it. So, you know, you, you, you might be, let's say, covering a story about a charity. And of course, that charity, when you turn up, whether it's with the microphone for the radio or the camera for the film crew, they're going to want to tell you their life story. And so you'll turn up and say, we're going to do a little piece about your charity today. Well, it started in 1972. <laughs> I was sitting with my aunt and then 15, and it might be a really interesting 20 minute story, but you're thinking, right, this bit here that's taking the person 20 minutes to tell me, I've I've got about 15 seconds for this. That's my intro. But we'll mm. let's move on to what you're doing now. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take you around the whole building and I'm going to show you everything we do. And we do 17 different things. And you're thinking, right, I can't show all 17. And, you know, they're telling me that they're all important. So which is the one that's going to play or which which is the one is going to resonate with the viewers? And I, I think this is one of the things that people perhaps don't sometimes appreciate with charities is they have in their mind what they think the most important thing is that their charity does. And it might be the most important thing their charity does, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the thing that resonates with the public most. So, for example, an example I like to use when I do a workshop about this is I talk about um, a charity that might help the homeless. Now, the, the person at the homelessness charity might say the, the most important thing to us is empowerment and getting people off the streets and, and, and improving their lives. It's not just about putting a blanket on them at night or giving them a hot meal. But then I say, when it comes to your comms though, the, these are the things that resonate. Someone being given protection, someone being given shelter, 
you know, you don't have time in one image to, social, to show someone going on their journey. So let's start off with the blanket and then let's have a picture of them getting the key to a flat. And then let's have a, you know, something, and you can show that whole journey in three images. And yes, it strips out 90% of what goes on, but this is the snapshot of the beginning. This is the snapshot at the middle. This is the snapshot at the end. And then the greatest resource you have all is, is the mind and the imagination of the viewer. Yeah. I think people massively underestimate how how much of the blanks the viewer can fill in. You know, if you show a photo of a person in a bad situation and then show a photo of the same person in a good situation, the viewer can do the maths in their head themselves that they've gone from bad to good and you've had something to do with that. And I suppose going back to your news days, this is what you had to do. You had to just say, right, yes, 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 that's it. That That's the shot. That's the sentence. Yeah. That's that's brilliant. And I think there's a couple of things to say to that. One is we are all at fault, I think. And I put my hand up having been in communications for many years is forgetting about the audience. So why do I need to tell you this piece of information right now? What do I want you to do with it right now? I might feel it's really important. We've got some great new reports come out from the charity and I really want to tell our donors. OK, so I want to tell you quickly because it suits me to tell you quickly. I'm excited about it. I need it off my desk. I've got a busy week. So let me communicate that right now. Well, actually, I've done the fatal thing, which is not actually think about when the audience needs to hear it. Yeah. And if you, we put ourselves in the audience's uh, mindset, as you say, that the charity that you might go around and they spend an awful long time showing you what's important to the charity, they're not necessarily putting themselves into the mindset of that audience. That audience is going to get bombarded, as you say, with car adverts and various other things through the day. And we've really got to cut through that as charities and make sure that our message not only resonates with our supporters and donors, but also sticks with them. So think very, very carefully about when you're setting out your start, middle and end, when you're thinking about even just when are you going to st storytell? What are your audience doing right now? Are you face-to-face? -face? Are they browsing on online? Are they listening to a podcast or reading something? What else are they going to be doing? And how can we make sure that we are as effective as possible? Do I need to save this new report for another day when it doesn't necessarily suit me, but it will suit me in the long term because my audience will have time to digest the information or more people will hear it or I can make a bigger splash with it. So it's very much about putting yourself in that, that mindset. And one really good example of that is I gave a presentation at an organization I was working with. I was doing some internal comms and we needed to change some behaviors. And I set up my storytelling uh, with one group of staff and it went down brilliantly. It was an amazing session. I had people clapping at the end, which I didn't expect because it was about changing behavior in the workplace. People really got into it. And I thought, wow, I'm onto something here. Uh, I had people coming up to me after saying, yeah, I totally got you. I totally get uh, where I need to go here. I need to change my behaviours in this way. I really see the benefits to my work. And I thought, wow, I'm onto something here. And I went and gave the same presentation, what I thought was the same presentation, two days later to another group of staff. And it was horrendous. It was silence. It met with grumpy faces. And I walked away from there thinking, well, what have I done wrong here in my presentation? It was great the first time. It was terrible the second time. I know I can tell a good story. I can convince people. I can take people on a journey. But actually what I had completely forgotten to think about is where that audience was at that time. It was a different time of the day. They were tired probably. They wanted to go home. They didn't want to hear from me. 
and they were in a different part of the organization so i hadn't really thought about some of the stresses and activities that they'd been up up to during their day or during their working week or even why i was the best person to come in and give that messaging maybe they felt that it was totally irrelevant and i think at that point again i just needed to remind myself that being a great storyteller or being a good storyteller and working on your storytelling doesn't mean that it's going to land every time so definitely put yourself in the mind of the audience think very hard about why you're trying to communicate because you don't get a second go at these things sometimes I certainly didn't get a second go with that audience so I got half of my job done in terms of changing behavior through storytelling and yeah I still reflect on that now and think don't always assume that you've just because you've got it right once it's going to happen again there's a bit of a dance with an audience isn't there there's a bit of a an interplay you're communicating but you need something back you need some some way of engaging and making sure that the audience is going to take it away and do what you want to do with it so ab- much ab- hard- absolutely the the audience is key i think the example that we can all relate to that i would use is is is, is when we tell our own stories from life is how we tell them differently. And so j- just to make up an example, let, let, let's imagine a relatively mundane story. Let's imagine uh, you go to the pub one evening and you're ordering a drink and uh, there's a mix up ensue and you end up taking one person's drink. They end up taking the other one. Um, and then it turns out, coincidentally, you're sitting at the same table and and, and you share a glance and you go, have you got my drink? Have I got relatively mundane story, but it's the kind of story you might tell. You're going to tell that story in the workplace differently than you would tell friends. You're going to tell somebody who already knows you the story differently to someone who doesn't, because you're going to think, well, this person will know what pub I'm in, but this person won't. This person will know what kind of night out I'm having. And that's just you know a very straightforward example, but you tell stories differently. I would tell a story about something funny that happened to me with my wife very differently than how I would tell a story to a complete stranger. And with your audience, you know, it's the same. There are differences. There are, there, without meaning to sort of suggest that everyone is the same or, or to stereotype, there is a reason that adverts for Pepsi and Sports Direct are different to adverts for Viking Cruises and Saga Insurance. You're pitching to fundamentally different audiences, so you approach it in a different way. And mm. like, like you said, I think people charities can be very guilty of this not considering their audience they say what do we want to say this is what we're going to tell people here's one message put it everywhere when in reality you've got a different audience on social media than you have looking at a poster down the local council office you've got a different audience if you're giving out leaflets in one market square than you might have in another location and yet you'll have charities that will quite often give out exactly the same leaflets when they go and present to the kids at school as they will when they're at the local community centre giving it out to retired people, which is a bit bonkers when we think about it, isn't it? The idea that the same story will work with the same people the same way. And, and, and you've already touched on that. Coming back to your charity, the charity that you support now, uh, so uh, meningitis now, sorry. How, how does your charity approach this? How do, how do you approach storytelling? What stories do you tell? Well, what I've tried to do is uh, bring a sense of storytelling to all of my colleagues within both the fundraising and communications teams, but also to go wider than that, to go to our support teams, even to finance and our brilliant CEO too, to make all of us storytellers, to think about the people that we meet and think about that start, middle and end, the simplicity of what we do, but actually the impact that we make. 
it's about people's stories at the end of the day, isn't it? So with meningitis now, we've been around um, for around 35 years. We started as a uh, as a charity set up by five families who'd all been affected in very, very sad ways by meningitis when not very much was known about the world of meningitis. Um, and there were no vaccines available. And in 35 years, that landscape has been transformed, thanks largely to the work of charity uh, of the charity and and the amazing supporters that it has people feeling very powerful powerful i suppose in making change happen and i think that's something that we try and reflect in all that we do so the storytelling is about the changes that have happened but also the fact that we're a very human charity we're very much about people and that's something that we try and strive for in all of our communications so meningitis although there is now a brilliant vaccine program is still very much around. It's in the it's in the media almost every day. We we hear very sad stories um, of uh, young people and old getting meningitis and sadly being uh, either losing their lives to the disease or being very severely affected by it. And it isn't a disease which is going away imminently either. So there's a huge job for charities like Meningitis now still to do to try and bring about change to remind people of the signs and symptoms of this horrible disease but also to let people know that there are things that can be done, like getting your vaccines, being aware of those signs and symptoms. And also, if you have been affected by it, get support from the charity too. We run an amazing helpline run by nurses and we've got great support. And I can just think of hundreds of different stories of people that we, we've been able to support. Some people who've gone on to, to change their lives radically. You, you think of some younger people who've sadly lost limbs and are now uh, entering into their teenage years in a in a totally different way than they anticipated or their mums and dads anticipated. And I think about helping them tell their stories in a really effective way is a really important way for us to keep on reminding people that meningitis is out there. In fact, it's of course, it's the thing that newspapers still come to us for. Can you tell us about somebody in the Manchester area or nationally or wherever it is in the country? They want to hear from people directly. And we as ambassadors are put in a place where we either need to be able to be brilliant, brilliant at telling their stories or find a way for them to feel comfortable in telling their stories themselves. So we're both ambassador and storyteller in one quite often. And one point that you made earlier on, which I just wanted to come back to, is that finding that little piece in a story. Um, I think there's a sort of journalistic sense which comes into storytelling sometimes. And you might hear a very similar story over and over again from some charities. But sometimes there's a little nugget of a story within just the way one person tells it to you. And you think oh, that's that's the thing that's different about you. I remember talking in a in a former role to a mum who'd very sadly lost her son and um, he had become gone on to become a, uh, a an organ donor. And it was an amazing thing that uh, he had spoken to his mum about. Um, prior to him passing obviously there was no anticipation of him passing but he had already decided and agreed with mum that he was going to become an organ donor but for mum it had turned her life upside down her loss had turned completely inside out and she was looking for some photographs after I finished interviewing her and she was going through her kitchen drawer and she slightly absent-mindedly said these used to be so tidy and just there in that sentence I had the whole story. Her life had turned around so much that she didn't tidy her drawers around so much anymore because other things had, had turned her world upside down. So that little nugget, that story 
resonated with me and stays with me now as well. And I think about her and her how she articulated her loss in that one sentence. And I thought, that's that's the story there. So we as storytellers, when we're listening out for um, the cases that we're going to tell to other people, need to be listening out for those little gold nuggets. A absolutely. And, and, and the thing is, for anyone listening to this, any charity, the, the key thing to empire is every charity has got this. It's I, I think sometimes when some charities think about this, they think, well, well, I, you know, I'm personally, I'm not a very good storyteller. I was always rubbish at writing stories in schools. I can't write a good story. And, you know, we, we don't we don't have the, you know, we're not a particularly inspiring charity. There's a lot of charity. You know, people tend to use the expression, we're not a very sexy charity, that kind of yeah. a thing. Or, you know, they feel like, well, we're, we're, we're not curing cancer or we're not taking people. We haven't sent anyone up Everest lately. But like you say, it's the tiny things, you know, and, and I, I say to people, if you think about your loved ones, if you think about your family and your closest friends, the kind of things that trigger these emotional responses, the people you feel most passionately about. And I ask you to list the things that, that, that they do that inspire you, that make you happy. It's always little things. It's always little things, you know, and, it, and it's the same with every charity. It, it, you may not feel that the work you're doing is particularly inspiring because let's be honest, 90% of charity work is mundane. 90% of charity work is paperwork, moving boxes around, transporting stuff, helping people with day-to-day -day life. 90% of charity work is everyday life because that's what charities do. Most of the time, charities are helping people with everyday life. You know, charities like, you know, yours, Meningitis Now, it's not like every single member of the team is, is sitting in front of a, a microscope right now, trying, you know, working on treatments. You've got people who will be helping people with everyday life. And it's the same with every charity. But within that, you just need to sit and watch. I, I sometimes say, if, if a charity thinks they haven't got a story, just, just go to wherever the front line of your charity is and just sit and watch for a day and it will reveal itself to you. Someone will say something or do something and you'll see it and you'll go, I need to record that. I need to watch this again and record it. If you just watch the work that your charity does, the inspiration will reveal itself to you. So if you're sitting and listening, thinking I couldn't write a, you know, a creative story of my life depends on it, you don't need to write it. Your your, the work your charity does will write it for you, won't it? Yeah, it will. Absolutely, it will. And you're you're absolutely right. The stories are there and you just need to be in that receiving mode. And I think we are, as storytellers, sometimes, again, um, we can find ourselves in those positions where we think we've got to broadcast out. But actually, there is this this duality of what of what we want to try and try and achieve. Are you getting my message? Am I getting it across in the right way? Am I if I'm in a room full of people, am I reading the room right? Am I? Am I engaging with everybody throughout? So am I am I finding the most effective way to tell that story? Am I the best person to tell that story? Um, and as you say, let's be in that receiving mode wherever we are in our life, whether we're storytelling at that point or whether we're just doing something else. Be aware and just spot those little things, scribble them down, make a little note, record it on your phone, take a photo of where you were, just to remind yourself of that special moment. You thought, I've got to capture this right now. So, and the other thing is you reflect on, not only do charities tell themselves and beat themselves up about not having great stories to tell, we, all of us, to some extent, don't believe the hype. We don't believe we're great storytellers. I think it comes with practice and I do believe that you need to find your own voice. Not everyone at my charity presents in the same way that I do. And I just present in the way that comes naturally to me or has become natural to me. But I know 
that my chief exec presents in a really different way. So if we do uh, a, a joint staff presentation, his presentation will be much more, uh, it would be slightly better paced than mine, it will be slightly slower, he'll be thinking about wanting to make sure that the information is sinking in, he'll be looking around the room in a different way, whereas I want to get a bit of energy going because I'm sort of thinking about my fundraising drive or I'm thinking about lifting the room up, so I'm a very different presenter. That doesn't mean to say that neither of us will achieve our aims because we're going to present in different ways. And I've got some amazing communicators within my team. And I think it comes with experience as well to be able to go, actually, you know, I'm going to step back right now and let this amazing person, this fundraiser or, or communications staff member, tell the story from here. Because you they'll have a better take on it, potentially. They know the family better. They might have some other elements in the story, which I just don't know myself, or I just can't articulate in the right way. So it's knowing that, not only are we all good communicators, we just do it differently. But sometimes, as I say, even if you've got a loud voice like I have and like to hear the sound of your own voice, there are times when it's not my turn and I need to be able to step back and go, OK, it's not me again. It's somebody else this time. And I'm really conscious of that as a storyteller, too. I think, you know what, I think this manifests itself, this sort of psychology of how well we tell stories, you know, based on our strengths and weaknesses, I think manifests itself really well. I see it all the time. I've got I've got a seven-year-old about to turn eight. And sometimes if you ask him to tell you about what's happened at school during the day, and he's not he's not had a particularly good day at school, he's not been that interested, it's like getting blood from a stone. It really is like tell me about your day. It's painful. You have to it, it, you have to interrogate him to drag the most basic details out. However, you know, and I've gotten you to say, well, he's only a seven-year-old, you know, he's, he's not a natural storyteller. However, if you ask him about something that he's passionate about and something that he enjoyed, he will go off and talk for hours if you let him and he will fill in every detail and he'll use hand gestures where they're appropriate and he'll, he'll allow his excitement in his tone of voice to build and ebb and flow and up and down. And he can tell a great little story about something that might actually at face value be incredibly mundane, but if it's something that makes you know him smile he wants to get that across to you and it like you say it, it's about finding your passion and if you can if you can think as a charity about the, the part of your charity that you're passionate about it may not be to you the most important thing your charity does but if you can tell passionately and eloquently the story about part of what your charity does that will work far more effectively than a slightly dry and drab explanation of what you think the key parts of your charity are mm. like you said what we've said already the little snapshots you know told passionately find your passion and speak to your strength and if you're not passionate about it but another member of staff is get like you say get them to talk about it because storytelling you you know needs the person telling the story to believe in it yeah. If you if you don't believe or have any interest in the story you're telling, that will come across, won't it? That's right. That's where the passion piece comes in, doesn't it? And so we, as um, members of whatever charity we work for, or, and whether we have a fundraising or communications role or otherwise, we need, when we're talking to the people, whether they're general stakeholders like the public or people really close to the charity, to be able to deliver that passion. Now, that's not necessarily using effusive language or or just getting the room excited that's about just demonstrating you believe it because ultimately you need to pass your belief onto them they need to go on their journey with that belief so that purpose and that passion that we're communicating with 
you've really if you've got two minutes to get it across or you've got a few lines of text or if you've got an hour to get it across that's your end goal have i communicated my purpose and my passion have i story told in a really good way and i think all of us whether we are whether we're dealing with um people day to day as a charity or whether we're in a charity where people don't we're not necessarily able to immediately grab a great case study or or we think that our charity is is slightly behind the scenes doing slightly more mundane work that's a great story too it's just about framing it in the right way to say actually we don't work directly with people but we what we do do is change lives in these ways and we need to have this conversation with you now because of these things and we'd love to have you on board with our journey it's about telling the story in that way but still conveying the sense of purpose and the power that you have because you're the salesperson ultimately at the end of the day you're telling the story or you're writing the script or you're writing that piece of copy and choosing the photograph to go with it so if you're conveying that passion and making sure that that's there in everything that you do then you've you're a long way into the challenge of storytelling and I, and I think you can then start thinking about how the audience are going to receive it. And I, I remember once someone explained to me, there's the, the science behind this. If you can speak passionately and you can trigger an emotional response through your passion with the audience, it, it's not just about, oh, well, you can feel that you've done a job, a job well done. There is science behind it. It, it, it was... I, I, Whilst you were talking, I had to go and find my notes to get the word because I'm not a scientist. But it's a hormone called oxytocin. And apparently, if you can trigger an emotional response in someone, um, particularly a happy, uh, you know, a happy emotional response, it triggers the, bo the, the body to release a hormone called oxytocin. And apparently, and, and this is all something based on scientific studies, this isn't a random quote, there was a scientific study that's backed this up, is that if, you, if somebody is under the influence of the hormone oxytocin, Studies have shown they are 80% more likely to be susceptible to suggestion at that point. The idea being that if you can, through your passion, trigger an emotional response and get someone to share that passion for a moment, it's kind of like if at that point you say, donate now, they are significantly more likely to donate. And you can start to factor these things. You get your passion, you get the audience to the right moment, and then you say, donate now. I'll, uh, before we come to the end, I'll, I'll, I'll tell a story. And, and it was talking to someone from a well-known charity that is going to remain nameless that do a large event every year or two, and it receives a lot of televisual attention when they do it, um, this well-known charity, uh, which involves a lot of people doing funny things. And they, I, I, they were talking about um, when they place certain videos of the, the thing, that we're gonna watch so-and-so looking at this, and they said the golden hour is between nine and 10 p.m. when, we, when we're doing our presentations in the evening. And the reason for that is, is is we want to trigger an emotional response and people between nine and ten may have had a couple of glasses of wine and the idea is that if we hit them with the most emotionally triggering thing then and they've had a couple of glasses of wine but not three or four they will be sufficiently emotionally triggered enough to think i'm going to get my credit card out and donate we don't want them on zero glasses of wine too early in the evening because the emotional trigger won't kick in as much we don't want them on three or four glasses of wine because then they might not be able to find the debit card that kind of a thing but it's about we've got the passionate content hit the right audience at the right time and if you if someone listening to this is saying yeah i get what you're saying but what we need is donations we need sign-ups we need things like that you combine that consideration of the audience the location you're doing it, how mm. passionate you get off the message. It, it, all, it all comes together, doesn't it? And the storytelling combined with understanding of the audience, location, timing, it, it, it melds into a, 
it's really powerful pieces that you see for charity, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And you sort of sit back sometimes and look at some copy that somebody's written and you just think, brilliant, I've, I've got it in one sentence. You've totally hooked me in. Or you read a brilliant uh, appeal letter, which has come from a charity and has been written by a nurse or written by uh, a mum or a dad who's been through uh, a horrendous experience. And you just think, wow, you've got me right there. You've, you've communicated, you've story told in a way which you've got your start, middle and end there, right there. And you've, you've given me some action. You've given me some, some ownership now. I mean, I'm engaged in the way you were just discussing that you've, you've, you've hooked me in and you've got, those, uh, you've got those hormones going for me. So there are many different ways that charities uh, storytell. And there are, there's lots out there. The good news is there's lots out there for all of us to keep learning from. So I'm, I'm I hope, a, a great sort of talking presenter and I can convince people in a room when it comes to the written word because I'm naturally drawn to broadcast naturally drawn to speaking to people um, and trying to find the right phrases trying to put my words together in the right order that's that's my natural home so when I look at some written work and I think wow I wish I could have done that that's where all of us need to keep on finessing our stories but not forgetting about this big package where is the audience right now who am I trying to get to what do I want them to do and have I got my start, middle and end sorted? Have I got the passion in the story? Have I, have I set out the problem? Uh, and have I set out why the charity is important? And most importantly, why they are important in this story, why they, they're that missing piece of the jigsaw and how they can take it on from here. I went to a charity conference, um, as many of us would have done in the past. And there was a brilliant one a few years ago where, um, there was a chap giving a presentation to a huge room of fundraisers. And he said, I've got some money here, which will go to one of the charities here in the room which will tell the best story. And some big nationals stood up and said, this is what we can do with the money. But the money actually went to a very small charity. Um, and it was because the chap stood up and said, well, this lady here will benefit from this money because of the ways in which we're going to be able to spend it. And he told her story. Yep. He didn't put the charity's case forward. He didn't say that we can spend the money on this research or we can solve this problem with that money. He told one person's story and it was the most effective thing I learned from that whole conference. Reminding myself, like I need reminding, that one person's story can just win over a whole room and make a donation happen. So that's it in its simplicity. Keep telling people's stories, keep listening for, for people's stories and make sure that when you're telling them, you know the audience, thinking about what sort of receptors they're going to need and what actions they can take um but think about your start middle and end and just deliver it deliver it with the greatest passion that you can do and don't worry whether or not you think you're the greatest storyteller because all of us all of us are talking all of the time aren't we as you say you can talk to many different stakeholders whether your family or friends in a different way to your mates in the pub to the guys you play football with or even in the workspace or your donors all of us know how to nuance our communications. Um, so just keep working on that. And, and as great storytellers, we'll get better and better. And our donors and supporters will feel more satisfied because they won't feel like they're being duped or just we're chasing them for money. 
I think you couldn't have, I couldn't have put it better myself. And I think just to reiterate for the benefit of our listeners, you, you don't need to be Charles Dickens. You've got the material already. Your charity has the people or the animals or, you know, whatever your, your charity is supporting. You've got the material. You've got the source material already. You just need to look at it, browse through it, find the best part and then film it, photo it, write, photograph it, write it down. You've got the materials already. And, you know, and if anyone listening to this is thinking, I, I don't know where to start, like you've said, there's so much out there you know get just just go to youtube and type in great storytelling adverts and things like that. it doesn't need to be a charity advert you look at go, go and look go and look at the organizations that have got billions of dollars to spend on advertising and yes you might look at an advert that cost 10 million pounds to make but what you'll do is you'll say I see what they're doing in the 30 seconds. Right, Th this this principle is solid. I understand the story they're telling you in 30 seconds. Right, how can we do this with a smartphone and a few people? You know, what's the equivalent we can do? You know, you go and look at, you know, the, the, the companies that are the masters at this, like Guinness are, are amongst, you know, the absolute best. In the charity world, Save the Children, do some brilliant campaigns with storytelling. Um, Oxfam, you know, and, I, and I'm sure meningitis now as well, but go and look at what other charities are doing to get the ideas of, how to do it and then in terms of the content you've already got it Trevor I would just like to give you one last opportunity to signpost um, anybody who's interested in learning more about your charity where can they go how can we find out more about meningitis now okay so let's just say meningitis is a disease which is still out there it is something which affects people of all ages so babies toddlers teens especially people going to university for the first time um, right through into your early 20s you're in a risk group as you are as you reach your late uh, 50s and into your 60s too. So any one of us at any stage in our life can get meningitis. It can strike hard and it can strike quickly. Do find out about the signs and symptoms. Find out about your vaccine status if you haven't already been vaccinated. Make sure you know about meningitis. So go to meningitisnow.org. And I really appreciate the time today, Joe. It's been awesome uh, having a chance to talk about something which I dearly love, the storytelling model. I really suppose the only way to end now is to say the end. <laughs> so that's, the, that's the end of this story. Trevor, thank you ever so much. I really appreciate your time. It's been great to chat to you about what is certainly a passion of mine, which is storytelling in charity and, and, and the power that it has to promote charities. It's been a pleasure. Trevor, thanks for being a guest today. Great to see you. All the best. So as we come to the end of this story, or should I say podcast episode, I think it's pretty clear that Trevor has told a compelling tale there about the power of storytelling for charities. I hope if you've listened all the way through, it's really reinforced that any charity on any budget with any level of resources can still tell some incredible stories that when used effectively can absolutely transform the outcomes you're getting. I want to thank our guest once again, Trevor Reed from Meningitis Now. Thanks for giving us his time so compellingly. You can find out more about Third Sector Network and how we can support your charity at www.thirdsectornetwork.co.uk. You can find us on social media at My Third Sector. If anyone wants to give the podcast a shout out, well, that would be lovely of you. But for listening today, thank you once again. And I suppose there's only one way we can end this particular episode, and that is by saying the end. <laughs>